Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. John White, WebMD's Chief Medical Officer and host of the Spotlight On series from WebMD's Health Discovered podcast. For this special two-part episode, you'll hear up-close and personal journeys about being diagnosed with a rare type of cancer, multiple myeloma. He looked at me. I have been his patient for more than 20 years. And he said, this is really strange. You're an African-American, age 57. I've never seen this before. This back pain that you're continually having with no signs of osteoporosis. No signs, exactly. And I didn't have any signs of osteoporosis in my family history. Listen to Health Discovered on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. This holiday season, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation delivers on its promise to do good and never forget the sacrifices America's greatest heroes have made for us with their annual season of hope. Between Thanksgiving and New Year's Eve, the Foundation will deliver mortgage-free homes to dozens and dozens of America's catastrophically injured veterans, fallen first responder families, and Gold Star families. Bring hope to heroes. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? You know, when we were trying to get this podcast off the ground, we had a lot of questions. How do you record an episode? How do I get the show into all the apps people like to listen to? You know, best of all, how do we like to make money off this podcast? The answer to every one of these questions is really simple. Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And now, Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise on your podcast. That means you can get paid to to podcast right away. In fact, that's what we're doing right now by reading this ad. You know, I like to listen to to my scary podcast during the week while I'm at work. And man, let me tell you, it just gets me in an extra zone so I can keep working all day long. So if you've always wanted to start a podcast and make money doing it, go to anchor.fm slash start to join me and a diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash start. I can't wait to hear your podcast. And welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another brand new episode of the High Low Sports Podcast. Unfortunately, we don't get to start off with the bright, easy topics like we normally do. It's been a quiet, quietly troublesome week in the the sports world, and unfortunately... We do have to start with Matisse Kivlinex, uh, unfortunately the young goalie for the Columbus Blue Jackets, passed away after an accident on July 4th at his coach's house, and I mean, our, I feel like it's it's safe to say our hearts and, and thoughts are with him and his family, or with his family at this point in time, and just, it's a tough th- situation, a guy that was projected to be a, a big part of the Columbus Blue Jackets, you know, picture moving forward, and unfortunately, accidents decide to, to take, a, take a man before his time. So uh, it's it's a tough thing to start out our conversation with, but you know, uh, obviously, DJ, it's not the way we want to talk. We want to start with, but it is something we we definitely need to touch on. Never how you want to start things off, especially coming off a Fourth of July weekend as well. To a really unfortunate to see firework accidents or seems like a big issue every single year. To we always talk about leaning up. There's always something afterwards, and it's always it's always sad to hear. So hopefully, hopefully, the family is okay moving forward as well too. It's, 
and on top of you say it happened at a coach's house too. That's even more insult plus lemon to the injury to the insult on top of that as well too. So really sad, unfortunate as well too. Like you mentioned, 24 years old, really young kid as well, bright future ahead. So hopefully this gets figured out soon. It really seems like every year there's a firework accident with an athlete. The most famous one being Jason Pierre Paul losing his fingers, obviously. Like it, it's really sad. And hopefully, I don't know. I it. I really hate seeing these every single year, unfortunately, as well, too. And it just continues to get worse. Yeah, no doubt. And it's, it's a sad situation. Um, and, uh, you know, he is a, a Latvian national team member as well. And, and he was projected to be on their Winter Olympics team um, coming up in, in uh, two more years. But unfortunately, that um, will no longer be the case. And so moving on from one sad story to really just kind of another, well, we just can't get rid of this situation type of thing. And that being the Rachel Nichols incident i think it's safe to say uh she spoke out against maria taylor and in, in, in less than kind circumstances um definitely some racial undertones to the whole situation and unfortunately it, it is what it is now i mean this has just been a, a crazy situation to talk about when with one of the two of the biggest female personalities in espn and unfortunately we again this is another topic like we hate to start the show off with this but we have to talk about it right it's uh that's pretty much that's all i got on it basically just uh it's exhausting as well too it's it's a whole th- i really wish we weren't still having to deal with it as well too it's a real shame i and then unfortunately the quote-unquote apology thing on camera did not look very good as well having richard jefferson and kendrick perkins carry 90 percent of that segment it was like a 90 second segment and rachel spoke for 27 seconds of it i mean we've seen We've seen Giannis's free throw attempts take longer than her apology situation did. So that was a little bit unfortunate as well, too. And honestly, though, in spite of all that, the NBA finals were fun to get started as well, too. I mean, the pregame show was just, was fantastic. Looking at Posnos, Maria, Bakia, all of them did a really great job. Obviously, you on Colorcast did the best job. Now, let's not get that twisted, though. But like they, it was, it's really, hopefully, this all gets, gets to work itself out sooner rather than later. Hopefully, it's not a, Hopefully we're at the worst of end. Things are starting to pan out afterwards. That's what I'm trying to look at a positive side of it. Cause like you said, this is usually the upbeat sports show where we're normally yelling and shucking and driving and you're making a top 11, top 10 list. And I'm yelling at you for it or something like that. So it's a little bit, a little bit different. And ESPN's had a bit of a messy thing as far as reacting to public criticism, that sort of thing as well too. Like it's not always been their strong suit and them trying to clean it up is never the best either. So, We'll see how it works out because she's still hosting the jump as well, too. A lot of people have come out defending Rachel Nichols, but at the same time, they're saying that she didn't go about this right. It's like six in one and half a dozen in the other. And honestly, they both do such a great job. I I would like a way to somehow this still work in cohesive, but with Taylor's contract coming up as well, too. This looks like it's going to be messy the next few months as well, too. I would prefer a world where they both just get to thrive and have fun and be great and plenty of plenty of burn to go around for everybody i'd imagine i mean Stephen a smith works 24 hours a day i'm pretty sure they could take some of his time off and split up between these two somehow i'd like to think that at least but i don't know i don't run a major network conglomerate i just kind of ramble on this podcast on occasion so we'll see hopefully they're able to work it out in some way shape or form it's just really sad to still be in this situation yeah and, and you know it's kind of a situation where like you 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 look at it and espn has a terrible track record with female personalities to begin with and quote unquote pitting them against each other and this feels just like another straw in the back of it like you're just like you guys keep sucking at this exact thing like you have a bunch of dudes on a sports channel talking non-stop and you have females trying to break their way in and obviously you know i'll talk about her in just a second and that being malika andrews and 
the fantastic job she's doing. Um, and I'll get to her in just a second, though. But, like, it's just another situation. Like, we talked about the old Michelle Beadle situation, Doris Burke, now Rachel Nichols, Maria Taylor. Obviously, this one has a little bit of different inclination to it because of the comments made by Rachel Nichols. This is definitely a um, be careful what you you tread with. If you're Rachel Nichols, you cannot do what she did on the jump in that 90-second segment where 27 seconds or 25 seconds, however long it was, was her apology that really didn't feel, I don't know, it didn't feel like all the way there with apology. But it is something to mention that Maria Taylor is a fantastic, fantastic host on ESPN, and she deserves all the plaudits that come to her because she is a fantastic host. Um, and obviously Rachel Nichols, and coming to the end of her contract soon as well in, in the next couple of years, um, she's been around for, for quite a while as well with ESPN. So, you know, it looks like ESPN was trying to build towards something, but at the same time, you have all these shows, you have all this network to use. How can both women not be at the top of their game at the same time? You know, that's, that's, I guess that's my big question is why is ESPN so dead set on, it feels like pitting two women, two top tier female hosts against each other. Was it's very odd to see how it played out. And I know the NBA Finals is very prestigious as well. So, like, it's a big deal getting to host that is a big feather in the cap. It's one of those big things you work for. But chances are, I mean, I don't know. I feel like, let's say Maria Taylor does it this year, Rachel will be like, huh, well, that kind of sucks. I felt like I was qualified for that because we've all been in a situation where someone else, we thought we were qualified, somebody else got it. You could be like, I'll get it next year or I'll still host the jump. Or maybe you get, I don't know. It feels like if you plan on being there for the long term, you'll get other opportunities. Bring it up to the boss, like, yo, I would like to do this. Something. I feel like there were other ways around this too, especially when you have the OG status that she has been around for so long. Like it's not just like a newbie getting passed up for another newbie. Like she's got some street cred and Maria Taylor has built a lot of street cred recently. Like they're, it's just kind of how it works out. And Rachel was going to be on the sidelines. Like, it's not like you weren't part of it. It's different. It's not quite what you anticipate. It's not what you're there for. And I don't know. It, it's a very interesting situation. And I'm surprised like so many people are coming on defending Rachel as well too in public. And I don't think it's just like hearsay seat hearsay she say that sort of thing so i wonder if there's more to the story somehow that we're missing yeah. but it, all that being said too like wrong choice of words wrong time wrong statement very disparaging and once again if either one of them ends up leaving espn feel free to join the podcast we would gladly to have you cannot pay you nearly as much but please feel free to come join as well too can't pay you at all uh let's be completely honest about that. <laughs> i will donate one dollar per month <laughs> but no, yeah, it, and you know, you mentioned she, uh, Rachel Nichols, was scheduled to be on the sideline, taking over for that Doris Burke type of role. Um, but because of all of this, stepping into her place is actually Malik Andrews, who is a young up and comer with ESPN, which is absolutely fantastic. And, and and through all the negative of you know the Rachel Nichols situation, this is probably one of the big positives to see, and that's Malika Andrews, who has been an absolutely fantastic sideline reporter since joining ESPN. She's only twenty six, so very young as far as career success goes and and she is well ahead of the curve in what she's doing and and you know it seems like every time she does an interview it's even better than the one before um so you know it, unfortunately through all the negative there is one you know there's some positive to take out of it and that is malika andrews has been stepping up and in this role and, and doing a fantastic job for espn so that is one thing obviously that is positive coming out of it you know and and you as as a guy who has, who has tried to get into sports reporting before and and you know that whole field uh, 26 years old and, and on the sidelines for the NBA Finals. How impressive is that to you, DJ? Talk about getting an opportunity of running with it, too. Get it, be in the right place at the right time and capitalizing on everything tenfold. That's probably the best way to describe it as well, too. It's like better lucky than good, but when you're lucky and good, good luck, everybody else. Like, talk <laughs> yeah. about being in a 
perfect plays at the perfect time and absolutely dominating the opportunity as well too. like working hard to make that opportunity there. Like fantastic job from Herbert as well too. like very good luck emulating that anyone else as well to usually graduate college at 21, 22, somewhere in that area. So within another stint of college, four years, you're already up, up there as well too. So that's, that's fantastic for her. continues to grind, continues to do a great job in a very bright future ahead. Yeah, absolutely. And a uh, shout out to the university of Portland, which is where she graduated from. Not the prestigious university like other some of the other ESPN fans or some of the other ESPN uh, analysts always come out from, a.k.a. Syracuse, Georgetown, uh, Northwestern, those type of Oh, yeah, the overrated colleges. ones that just cost more. Yeah, those ones. Yeah, yeah, those ones. <laughs> but, no, yeah, University of Portland, a pilot out here making making a name for yourself. So fantastic to see. Uh, but that gives us the tip off, and that was presented by Fanatics.com. Guys, if you guys haven't checked out Fanatics.com, please go do so. Link is in our bio. Go get all your gear, getting ready for the NBA Finals if you're a Phoenix Suns fan, Milwaukee Bucks fan. Go get your jerseys ready for for the rest of the games. Game two, obviously, coming up later tonight on Thursday night. Um, and then game three being on Sunday. So, fantastic right there. You get, get that special gold patch for the NBA Finals. And on top of that, you don't have to pay like $70 from a Suns and 4 cameo guy, too. Like, it's actually reasonably priced. Exactly. There you go. So, go check that out. Link is in our bio, guys, uh, as always. And now, moving on to the main event as always and that is as i just mentioned the nba finals uh we just had the conference finals wrap up in i think it's safe to say fantastic fashion over in the east just all sorts of crazy things happening in the west obviously the suns took care of business pretty well in, in the west but uh we'll start with let's start with the west just because that's the the quicker of the two series right, what, what were your thoughts when you were watching this series Honestly, it felt like for a long time the Clippers were about to come back from 3-1. Like the way Paul George started balling, especially in that game five as well, too. It was like, huh, are they really going to do this? But then Patrick Beverly kind of ruined everything, started going Bush League, and that turned Chris Paul into an absolute, my goodness, point God to say the least, the best Chris Paul we've ever seen, dropping 41 in that closeout game six and absolutely burying the Clippers down the stretch. But it just kind of felt like a formality, too. I mean, once the Suns were – it was kind of like last year, the Nuggets came back from two 3-1 deficits, but then they are down 3-1 to the Lakers, and you're like, yeah, this this ain't it. This is kind of what it felt like this time, too. It was like, oh, you're down 0-2 to the Suns? This probably ain't it. It's 3-1. You won game five, and it was like, well, maybe. No, game six, Chris Paul put an absolute dagger in that as well, too. Patrick Beverly awoke in the beast, and Chris Paul made sure they paid for it. So at the West, it kind of – the Suns also, they just feel like that team that rises out of nowhere and absolutely cruises through. Like, they, I don't know if how sustainable this run will be on. I don't know if they're like a long term dynasty in the making. I know they have a lot of great young players, Booker, Aiden, et cetera. But I feel like this is the one where they were, they just came out of nowhere and this is, this is just almost their year, it feels like. Yeah. I mean, these, this Suns team, it's, it is pretty fantastic, you know, just to look at everything they've done from not just adding Chris Paul in, but the, the job they've done building around him as well. Um, you talk about the, re- the I shouldn't even say resurgence, but the the surge of campaign. I mean, where did he come from? Quite literally, after floundering around everywhere, uh, G League, NBA, uh, China, like <laughs> everywhere, finally finding himself and coming back over and getting the chance last year in the bubble, and now he's you know filled in quality minutes for Chris Paul and and given given the Suns a, a kind of a spark off the bench that you're you know, not, not really, you haven't really been getting from anywhere else. And, and that's been fantastic to watch. And, you know, outside of game one with, uh, with Jake Crowder in the finals, Jake Crowder has been a offensive weapon. Who would have thought I'd say those words for the Suns? And instead and, he gave you one point in game one of the finals, but he gave you nine rebounds as well too. I mean, like, he, yeah. and that's in addition to the defense he gives you as well. And the one thing I want to point out before we start talking about the Bucks and these two, the Suns in game one, 25 of 26 from the free throw line. They missed one. 
the combination of Aiden Paul and Booker went 20 of 20. Like talk about the charity stripe to say the least. They capitalize on those tenfold. They're one of the best in the league all season. That was the difference in the game. They shot the same as the Bucks. The rebounding was the same. The assist was the same. The turnovers was similar. Like everything was similar, even possibly favoring the Bucks in some regard. But man, that is 25 out of 26 free opportunities they capitalized on, which is absolutely sensational. I I don't even know what else to say other than Jay Crowder. If you make that one other free throw, they are perfect. Yeah, no, I mean, really, look, Devin Booker, 10 of 10 from the free throw line, and he started early and often at the free throw line. I mean, it was, look, he was playing maskless for the first time since breaking his nose, and he felt, he he looked like, I mean, completely maskless. I didn't put it back on at any point in time, and he looked like he was completely healthy, and obviously broken noses don't just heal in in a week or two. Like, it does take a couple months for it to properly heal, and then he's sitting here, playing in the NBA Finals game and attacking the basket, attacking the rim, and and not afraid to put his body on the line yet again. And, and he went to the free throw line and made it count every single time. And that's that was absolutely fantastic to watch for Book. Uh, but talking about their success long term, I mean, goodness, DeAndre Ayton, what he's able to do right now is just, it's fun to watch because it's, it's not easy going up against the combo of Brooke Lopez, P.J. Tucker, Giannis down low, and, and he's out here making it look easy. And that's what's crazy. I mean, uh, almost a... Almost a 20 and 10 type of game from him, or 2020 game from him last night um, in game one, where he just absolutely played fantastic. What he was able to do against the Clippers. I mean, we talk about his game two heroics, but just all throughout that that series, he played very, very well down low. And so, uh, you know, this, this Suns team is an exciting team to watch for sure. Absolutely. And you talked about playing well. Well, somebody who did play surprisingly well, as you said, my thought was Giannis for the Bucks as well, too, coming off the hyperextended knee. Basically, was until tip off, like, you know what? He's good to go. They wait until the, basically yeah. the very last minute. Let him go. 7 of 12 from the free throw line. Not good by any means whatsoever. 20 points, 17 rebounds, 4 assists, a couple of steals. Not great, obviously. Not the Giannis Antetokounmpo we're used to, but considering you knew he was not going to be 100%. You were hoping for 80, basically, which I think is what you got. Problem is nobody else really was giving you much else either. It was kind of, it was kind of a mess, honestly. They managed to keep it close just from pure firepower, but I I don't know if I'm the Bucks. I'm not too broken down after the scene. Giannis able to play relatively effectively, just not not his great self, basically. You have to imagine he's only going to get a little bit better as the series goes on. He gets back into the playing groove as well, too, assuming his knee doesn't act up or anything. So if I'm the Bucks being down 0-1, it's like, well, not how I drew it up, but we're not – it could be worse considering the Suns shot lights out or they were basically – they were the Suns were the Suns. That's the best way to say it. Like, they played like the Suns were the Bucks, maybe not quite so much like the Bucks. So if I'm, if I'm Budenholzer, I'm not too discouraged yet. Yeah, no, I mean, like, it it didn't look bad by any means from the Bucks. It almost felt like the Suns just couldn't miss at certain times. But really, the thing that got me was Chris Milton had a fantastic night, getting get, putting 29 up on on the, the Suns, leading the way for the Bucks. But the big problem for me was actually Giannis not getting enough touches. He shot well. He went 6 of 11. He actually went 1 of 2 from 3, and he shot 58% from the free throw line. I was like, holy crap, the man can actually hit free throws sometimes. Like it was, it was acceptable. It was at an acceptable rate that he was hitting his free throws. Like you'll take one or two almost every time he goes in the line. That's fine, um, but like you're not touching the ball enough to start scoring. And Brooke Lopez, who at one point in time was your second leading scorer at 17, ends the night as your third leading scorer, did not play at all during the fourth quarter. It felt like he was just non-existent offensively. Twenty-three and he total was already- minutes. To add on to that point, he had played less than Pat Connaughton, who had 28. Yeah, and, and Pat Connaughton gave you eight points. Eight points. None of them even really mattered. Even at the end, they were 
they weren't good eight points. They weren't a, a, a quality eight points. And, you know, Brooke Lopez out here giving you 17 in the first half, it felt like, and then just you go away from him. And, you 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 know, he had turned himself into a nice little sniper out there. I mean, he was shooting 60% from three last night, three of five. I mean, why do you pull him off the court when you need to come back? And he's one of your best three-point shooters. Like, I know he's a big guy. Obviously, that is considered a liability against DeAndre Ayton. But you were close when he was in the game. And then you let him go. You let him sit the bench, and it's just like there went your opportunity. Um, and, and Drew Holiday, obviously, 4 of 14 on the night. That was rough to watch. Uh, almost a, almost Jason a Jason Kidd triple double, basically. Yeah. That, was the, uh, that was about it. It was, it was not, it was Rue Holiday. There was no J. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it is it, it, it's a crazy thing to see that it is, I don't know, man. The, the Bucks were just a conundrum to me last night. I don't know whether it's just their offensive game plan or what their, situation is why they decide to go the way they do but it's it is really weird watching the bucks sometimes like i don't know offensively if it's a budenholzer thing or if it's just a young man mentality i don't know who knows and it was interesting middleton played 45 minutes last night like my goodness you ran him into the ground you mentioned the 29 points on a little bit less than 50 percent shooting five of 12 from three seven rebounds played really well my goodness, you basically decided he will be the offense, trying to spare Giannis a little bit, obviously. You weren't going to max out the Greek freak on his first game back from nearly having his knee explode. But dang, they really, they almost ran him in the ground. We saw very little Bryn Forbes, a little Jeff Teague. That was it. Like, your bench was four deep, which is not too out, not too outrageous. I mean, it's pretty standard, especially in the finals. You shorten up the bench. But if you wanted to give Giannis a break start, I feel like you should have shuffled in a few other people. Give Middleton a break here and there, too. Maybe down the stretch, he's not as worn down. It was, yeah. it was a very odd first game. I mean, it feels like the Bucks always seem to be weird, especially in the playoffs. Their first games have been like, really? Every single time we look we, at the end of game one, we're always like, huh, not really fearing a whole lot of deer there. Yeah, and, and the weird thing is they got off to a hard start. I mean, really, they were the first ones on the board. Actually, ironically, a Giannis free throw was the first point scored in the NBA Finals. Who would have thought, right? But, it's you know, crazy and- that he shot 12 free throws and the team shot 16 total. So they did not get to the foul line much at all either. Brooke Lopez even going all of two from the free throw line. So that's where they yeah. got improved when Phoenix is going to go 25 of 26 as well, too. Oh, yeah. And, 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 you know, but, but, you know, through much of the first quarter, through about almost 10 minutes of the first quarter, the Bucks had the lead. And then it was just like all of a sudden you just started seeing the chinks in the armor, if you will. Just too much going ISO ball, too much trying to do this. And not enough actually running a pick and roll or anything going to the bucket, and the the Suns just just kept pounding it and, and kept taking you taking you off the dribble. I mean, look, we we can't overlook what Chris Paul did in his very first playoff game, uh, very first Finals game, getting you thirty two board or thirty two points to go along with nine assists and four rebounds. I mean, we joke about calling him the point god, but uh, yeah, one hundred percent. Last night we saw all of that on display and then Devin Booker in his first NBA finals game gives you 27, six assists, two rebounds and three steals. Uh, so not a bad night. While you know, I mentioned DeAndre eight almost getting a 2020 type game, 22 points, 19 boards. So your big three for Phoenix is absolutely showing up and your big three or four, whatever you want to count them for the bucks. Well, you had about two, two thirds of it or half of it just go AWOL. So. It's something about the Suns, and it seems like it's been the story of this entire playoffs. The Suns just have a knack of going on runs, no pun intended. But like, it'll be close, it'll be close, it'll be close. 
And then out of nowhere, you get then I know where you get basically a 20 to seven run. It just out of nowhere. It seems like, oh, it's close. It's close. It's Chris Paul back to back threes steal from steal from Devin Booker and one DeAndre Ayton or something ridiculous like that, too. It just they have a weird ability to go on these just random runs. And even though the final score of the quarter could be close, like 23, 27, the Suns broke away and you had the claw just to get it close again. It's the weirdest thing how they could do that because they could even be down by 10. And then next thing you know, they're up by six, just the way they go on these magical attacks. It's similar to the seven seconds or less Phoenix Suns more, but with defense that's leading the offense on top of it. So yeah. it's tough with Phoenix, especially if they get running. So the, if the Bucks, they need to find a way to slow the game down when the Suns are on offense, but then still get in transition themselves because that's easy buckets for Giannis and, and crew where they don't have to worry about setups free throws that sort of thing to get Giannis Euro stepping from half court with two steps and dunking it like they got they got to find a way to basically flip the transition transition wheel at this point yeah and now this game of course as with all the finals didn't um didn't go without injury as Dario Saric had to leave the game after checking in early in the first and he actually left the game with a left leg injury I'm not sure if they've actually released the exact details on the injury yet uh, but he was. It, it wasn't like a. It wasn't like a twist or anything. It was just a non-contact um, situation, and they are actually saying it's a knee injury, um, and it's a, I'm sorry, right knee injury. But it was. It was. It was not a. You know, he was going to the basket and he planted, and it was like all of a sudden his his ga- leg gave out and he almost collapsed, and so that was like something to watch first of all. But that also led to the first appearance for Frank the Tank Kaminsky in a playoff game and or in the NBA Finals, and well. You got a whole bunch of zeros from from Frank. If Dario Sarge can't continue for the rest of the series, is that a problem for the Suns? Yes, and a little bit, honestly. Like, obviously, Dario Sarge is a really good player. He's been putting in big minutes every time DeAndre Ayton has had to step off the court as well. The versatility of him as well. When teams go, like, five out, he can spread the floor. Frank can do that, but... We need to see it. Like, we know he could shoot. We know he's a big man. We saw what he is capable of. We just – we haven't seen a lot of him in this playoffs because he just hasn't really fit. He's been kind of out of water, I guess, if you want to say. He's not quite as athletic as Sarge, which is surprising to say. I don't think he quite shoots as well. He's not quite the force down low as well. He's just – Sarge has just been better across the board. So, we'll see what the drop-off ends up being if Frank does have to play significant minutes the rest of the way. Like, let's see DeAndre Ayton gets in foul trouble one of these games. Giannis keeps bumping into him, and he gets three fouls in the first quarter or first half. You're going to have to depend on him then, and we'll see what he can do because he has to protect the paint as well as help stretch the floor on offense like Sarge does. And I don't know if he can do that. I don't know if that's necessarily his game. He's more of a true stretch four that can work offensively in the paint and kind of guard in the paints a little bit, but he's not a rim protector by any means. He's not a big banger down though. He's not a rebounding fiend. He's not DeAndre Ayton. That's that's how we'll describe it. He doesn't do a lot. He does a, doesn't do really any of the things that DeAndre Ayton does. So that could be a problem. We'll have to see how they adjust. If anyone can adjust, it's Monty Williams. I mean, he's shown the ability to make anything work he'll make he can make chicken salad out of beef patties he has shown so far so it we'll see how they make that work but i wouldn't be it could be a little bit concerning if you're phoenix yeah i mean do you think phoenix maybe decides to go small ball then in those cases and maybe try to try to deal with the big towers by just playing small and building you know the the quote-unquote wall and maybe cam johnson gets a couple more burn uh you know he's came back from injury looked actually really good last night gave me 10 points off the off the bench and um, you know, and the dude's been light out lights out from the corner shooting as well. But do you think maybe he's a guy they bring in? Cause he is a big body sort of like three, four type of guy. I think so we see a lot of Craig and Cam Johnson. They do go smaller ish five ish out. And anytime Giannis gets the ball and starts moving, they probably just follow him. They're like, all right, 
you guys start fouling while DeAndre and sits on the bench. We will foul them a thousand times. We may even see a little more Nadir, just different guys going in there to foul you on us basically at that point. It's like, all right, can't really guard the paint, but we can uh we can just be a paint, we could be a thorn in the side, if nothing else. Like we will slow this game way down. It'll take seven hours. Us calling on color caps will lose our voice by the by halftime. So we're sick of saying end <laughs> of the free throw line again. But it's the best way to stop them at this point and get, and get to the point where you can bring down Drayton back in. Unless Kaminsky can prove to kind of guard the paint a little bit. You're not stopping Giannis once he gets that dribble, dribble, spin move, Euro step dunk or anything along those lines. It's really hard to stop that if you're anybody. But you need yeah. somebody that can contest it, maybe get and then get the rebound and contest anybody else when they start driving or in a pick and roll. Middleton tries to pull up for that mid range shot, get out there and put a hand in his face. If Frank can't do that, then I I don't hate the idea of like putting a Tory Craig, Cam Johnson to go with maybe campaign, Booker, and Bridges or Crowder. Just basically have three threes and a couple of guards and just be like, all right, on offense, we're going to spread it out and just either outspeed or outshoot everybody. Now on defense, we will foul you to go to the bucket. Make Brooke Lopez beat you from the block. See if they will actually adjust and do that consistently and punish you for it. Because I do you want Cam Johnson on Brooke Lopez on the block? I mean, I'll take my chances with Brooke Lopez every time. Same with Crowder, all them. Maybe they have one good defense possession, but that doesn't mean you don't go back to it. And we haven't seen the Bucks go to it consistently. Boonholzer refuses to do it for multiple possessions and punish him. Or any pick and rolls and get Brooke rolling to the basket with maybe campaign on him. I think there's options there. And I think if you're the Suns, you feel pretty comfortable. Like, all right, the downside of this kind of works out for us. If if we have to go to a situation like that, Sarge can't return. I, I think they'll be okay just kind of flipping everything on its face. Like, oh. Well, you are playing chess while I am playing jacks up poker or something along those lines. Yeah. And, and you know, there is that possibility. They do have one other forward center on their roster, that being Jalen Smith, who we have yet to see at all during these playoffs. And during the season, we only saw in maybe three to four minutes total of playtime. He is a rookie, uh, but he is 6'10", so does have the big body you want. However, Secret weapon uh, money Williams sat on ice literally all season and then breaks out in the finals and he goes on a 20 and 20 rampage. Who knows? Yeah, you know, we've seen crazier things. We've seen crazier heroes step up. But there is this part I want to go back to, and that's the Brooke Lopez down on the block and Budenholzer not wanting to go back to it. Does Budenholzer forget the years and years and years of Brooke Lopez dominating the, dominating the Eastern Conference down low? Like, does he just forget that this man owns a point-scoring record for an NBA franchise? Like, is it what? Why does he not use him down low? I your guess is as good as mine. I mean, seven of 14, 3 of five from three gave you the seventeen points. I know he is a liability on defense more often than not, but in a situation like that, just like put him on the block and small and back. Look, post hook shot uh, to your right hand, post fade away over the top. They can't really guard it. Pump fake gets to the foul line. I know he's zero of two, but that's not very. That's not indicative of how he normally is. So at this point, take advantage of what you have, especially if DeAndre Ayton is not on the court. If DeAndre Ayton is on the floor, I get it. Get him out of the paint. Let Giannis Euro step. Make DeAndre Ayton have to choose. Stop Giannis. Stop Brook Lopez as the sniper. But if you have him in a situation where a smaller guy is guarding him, let him go to work down low and just it's a high percentage shot. If he misses it, go back to a continue. Maybe give him three or four possessions in a row. Make them pull a double team and let Brook Lopez pass out of it. Unless Brook Lopez forgot how to pass, maybe. I don't know. Or maybe... Just the way they play, they ignore that. He'll call for it. Brooke Lopez gets in the block, doesn't like it, passes out, never gets it again. Maybe I'm missing something, but I feel like that is a really easy way to get some cheap buckets, especially when the Suns start to go on those runs. Oh, four to nothing. Oh, six to nothing. All right, Brooke Lopez, stop this right now. You get your big butt on the – or not Brooke Lopez, stop. But like, all right, Brooke Lopez, you stop this bleeding really quick. We're going to put your big butt yeah. down there on the left block. 
with Mikel Bridges on you or Jay Crowder, good defenders, but a lot of weight difference and a little and a lot of size difference. You will put your shoulder into them for two dribbles and do a right hook shot or a turning jump shot, which is virtually a layup for where Giannis takes off for a dunk. And if they bring a yeah. double team, you will kick it out to Chris Middleton in mid range or Drew Holiday or maybe cutting Giannis back door because when he gets ahead of steam, oh geez, look out, everybody down below. A whole maybe PJ Tucker in the corner. I don't know, but it seems very simple for a guy that used to average twenty three and ten for a season and was the best player on the Brooklyn Nets for a long time, a perennial All Star. I know he's evolved into a super sniper to compliment Giannis and is a seven-foot sniper all of a sudden, and it's still weird to me. But you could still put him down low and make things happen. He has a little bit of a mid-range game. Maybe have him just step outside the block a little bit when Giannis gets in the paint, bounce it off to him, and then he could just flick it. I don't know. Yeah. I feel like they're underutilizing him in some ways, but at the same time, I get what the liability on defense, and if he's a little bit – he's got – He's got to shoot like 65, 70% if you're going to do that, which is a little unfair just the way the game is played, though. He's got to shoot a higher than normal percentage, basically. And he was 50% last night, which is still really good. But you almost need him to be almost a guaranteed bucket, I guess, if that makes sense. Every time you get it to him, you can't let him shoot his way into it necessarily. Just the way the game plays, you can't go to the big man down low as often or as frequently without getting potentially ran on by the Suns. But you got to at least try. you got to at least try slowing the game down with him a little bit. And if he misses that two-foot shot, most of you guys are already back to slow down the transition as well, too. It's not like everybody collapsing the paint. It's really just him down there. Maybe Giannis, if he's doing something backdoor, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, look, when Giannis was out for the last two games of the Milwaukee Bucks, Hawks series, and the Eastern Conference Finals, in the first game, they did just that. Budenholzer put Brooke Lopez down low. What does Brooke Lopez do? Oh, he just casually gives you his career high in the playoffs in 33 points. Game six, though. They go back to using Brooke Lopez in this sniper combo role. Gives you 13 points. It's very clear to me how his offensive game works. You work inside, and then he steps out and nails these threes. You can do that with Giannis. There's no issue doing that with Giannis. And I don't know if it's a Giannis issue or something, but I watch the Bucks play, and I feel like if Giannis is on the court, no other big man can play on the court with Giannis. And that's not to do with the other big man. It's purely to do with Giannis because I feel like he doesn't respect down like anybody playing down low. And that's, I don't mean it's like respect thing. Like in that situation, I feel like just watching him play, he doesn't understand spacing down low. He has no issue going right in there. And as I've pointed out in, in our color cast when doing the game, he will quite literally stand right on top of Brooke Lopez. Or right on top of insert big man here, Bobby Portis, for goodness sake. And and I'm just like, what what are you doing, Giannis? Like high, low, opposite sides of the key at all times, and you're you, you it, it's fine. But you know what? They he doesn't seem to understand spacing when it comes to playing down low in the paint. And I think that's more detrimental to the success for the for success for the Bucks. And it's it's preventing the Bucks, in my opinion, from taking that next step to be a a, a legitimate inside out threat to the NBA. I mean, they really could be a, a an inside out threat. If you got Brooke Lopez cooking down low and then stepping out and shooting threes to go along with giving Drew Holiday some breathing, not making him pull some fantastic moves going to the basket and then going four or 14 because that's the only opportunities he gets or making Chris Middleton ISO and have to try to rock, a, rock somebody to sleep with the lamest crossover move any, anybody has in the NBA. It's still effective, but it is not a fantastic crossover move by any means. It's just, it's effective because it's simple. And then, you know, you have the battering ram that is Giannis that can do whatever he wants it driving to the basket. I just, 
I, I feel like Giannis needs to understand spacing more with this Bucks team to to make that successful. I don't know if he ever will. Uh, but it, that's my big issue with this watching this, and and I think Budenholzer encourages it too much. He encourages, you know, Giannis to to kind of do that instead of coaching Giannis. I feel like he's just like, oh yeah, yeah, you're you're a battering ram. Go be a battering ram. Like instead of coaching a guy who started playing at the ripe old age of sixteen, and has uh, yeah, he's a two time MVP. But imagine how much better he could be if he actually had some coaching from Budenholzer. This kind of honestly reminds me of the early Miami Heat when they had the big three with LeBron, Wade, and Bosch. Like LeBron, battering ram to the basket. Dwayne Wade, slashing, extraordinary, athletic, graceful in the air, finishing ridiculous shots around his back. Chris, Chris Bosch, a 6'11 power forward. Like it, it seems like there's too much congestion. Slashing they had power to learn forward how to, at that. Was that? He was a slashing power forward at that. On top of that, yeah. Like with a little bit of a mid range game, but at the time, but wasn't just a step out, but wasn't like. He did his work in the paint. Like, there was too congested. They had to learn how to – Dwayne Wade playing off ball with the backdoor cuts, making it happen. LeBron learning how to work in the post and space out. Chris Bosh learning to shoot threes and expanding the mid-range game. I feel like they got to institute some of that stuff that we saw from the Heat. Like, Giannis needs to work on his post game just a little bit. He's gotten a lot better in this playoffs than he has the last couple of years to where I think is why they're in this position because he's been able to be effective with his back to the basket a little bit. Brooke Lopez, you don't always have to be a three-point snapper. I know Boone loves that thing with him Paul Millsap Al Horford guys like that like sticking your biggest guy out in the corner maybe just have him take two steps in so it's a shorter mid-range shot more high effective shot especially for a big guy like that and then Chris Milton Drew Holiday getting them some buckets off ball Giannis being the screener in the pick and roll not always the pick and roll guy not a pick and pop get the ball in isolation like just make things easier they got to find a way to just easy things up put Giannis at the maybe the top of the key not the top of the key about the free throw line extended run a quote-unquote triangle offense get brooke lopez on the block and then some backdoor movement just find a way to make things easy honestly instead of just having people trying to out talent them make things easy like what golden state does they make things so easy for steph and clay that when they do decide to go full extra and be great it's like oh that's 39 points in a quarter great here we go again but so but they don't always have to do that that's why i think the bucks really lack is the ability to make things make life easy for great players so they could be great when it counts and win you games instead of just having to carry you all the way up the mountain with four refrigerators tied to your back. Yeah, and that's that. You know, I, that's the best way I, I think I, anybody can sum it up is just making it easier because that's. I feel like the Bucks are trying to reinvent the wheel, and it, there's no need to try to reinvent the wheel when you are as good as you are. Um, that's, but I think to your point, yeah, obviously Giannis has gotten better with his 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 back to the basket, but I just there's just the spacing thing just bothers me watching it. I'm just. I keep watching it. I'm like, all right, Brooke Lopez has figured out he needs to go shoot outside. He shot 60% in game one. He can give you that pretty consistently if he's going to keep being wide open. It's, it's no problem for him. Chris Middleton. Now, this is this crazy stat still that I, I mentioned in game one. In losses, with the exception being game one of the NBA Finals, in losses for the Bucks in the playoffs, he has shot 15% from three-point land. 1-5% from three-point land. And that's his average. So that means there's been some that are way below that, some that are above that. But but that was his average up until the NBA Finals game one in games that the Bucks had lost. So, you know, you talk about that as well. Like, if if you have your spacing down correct, Chris Middleton doesn't have to take as many threes. Or when he does take the threes, they, he will be war, more open. Um, you know, I, I look back at the old, uh, you mentioned the triangle offense, the old Lakers days, the old Bulls days, you know, obviously with great players in their own right in, in Michael Jordan and Kobe. 
but they did it. They're both slashing type players, but they did it with a big man down there. They did it with two big men down there in, in MJ's case. I mean, and one of the greatest big men in Kobe's case. Yeah, like literally one of the best big men in the game, and Kobe could still slash to the hoop in the offense. Like, And not just a big man, the biggest of big men too. He took up the entire yeah. paint, not a traditional big man. Exactly. So, I mean, like it is something that can be done. I just, I think there's, there's twofold here. I think it's one Giannis needs to learn the the idea of spacing and learn how to do that. But I also think it really comes down to Budenholzer. And I don't, I think the Bucks are performing this well in spite of Budenholzer more so than the other way around. I think that's a safe way to say it. Like, I think Budenholzer is a decent, good coach, a really like an NBA quality coach. But I feel like with this squad, he has not maximized their potential. I think weirdly enough, when he was at Atlanta, when he had that Hawks team with Jeff Teague, Kyle Corbin, all them, he managed to maximize their potential to the point where they won 60 games and were a number one seed. But they also had like no superstars. No, they had some all-star caliber players, but nobody really like, oh yeah, that's a game changer. Now that you have a true game changer in Giannis, a guy like Chris Milton on any moment could be the best player on the court. And then other players like that as well too. He hasn't fully maximized them if it makes sense. Like, He's a great coach for good players, but for great players, he's just a pretty good coach. It's kind of a weird conundrum as well. So I think finding a way to, he's got to find a way to maximize what you can with what you have right now. And he's done a good job, especially down the stretch in these last couple of series, like with the, down the stretch against the Nets, they made the right adjustments and they were able to get, especially when they were down three, two to Brooklyn after Kevin Durant's 49 point triple double. He found a way he found a way. He's like, all right, Kevin's going to get his, but we're not letting him get a triple double again. He will get 55 on his own, but no one, he ain't getting 10 assists. So he made those adjustments and offensively found a way to get Giannis points in spite of the free throw woes that were especially bad in that series. Like that was yikes. And then against the Hawks, you lose Giannis, you win the two games. So I think he's capable. He just has a, he's one of those guys that just doesn't seem to be the best coach for elite players right now. And I think, I don't know if he has like an assistant coach that can maybe help him with that, but I think that might be the difference in the series is how they adjust going forward. And if he's able to, even if Giannis is going to be like 80, 85% this series, you got to find a way to maximize what you have there. Cause even at 85% that he might, he's one of the most terrifying rising, terrifying players to go against when he gets ahead of steam to the basket and one-on-one with his length, the ability to dunk from the free line, just reach over you with go, go gadget arms. You got to find a way to make life easy for him as well too. And that's, I don't know. We'll see. I think Boone Olser is an NBA coach, but I don't know if he is the best coach for this team. And I think in certain situations, he is, his coaching has cost him a little bit just some of the play calling, the questionable decisions, the personnel moves. But then at the same time, I'm not here to fully doubt him and poop on him too because they got here, they might not get here without him depending on who you put in his spot. Yeah, and that's that is a good point. I mean, I feel like Budenholzer does a great job with young players and getting them to a certain point. But I think to your, your point, I think once they become a borderline great level player, I, I do think that he lacks I maybe not maybe not lacks is the case I just it almost feels like he is doesn't want to ruin what they're already doing you know and instead of instead of coaching them up to continue doing what they're doing plus adding in another weapon to their game he kind of just lets them what they're good at he puts it into the offense and he says everybody else you got to step aside even though you have fantastic weapons that are stepping aside you know in what they do so I, I think if it's possible, he lets great players do what they do great too much. Is that if that's a thing? Like, you know, we talked about Spolster being able to handle LeBron's mentality with, with coaching wise. Like, he was just able to bring in LeBron and, and be like, "No, LeBron, you do it my way." 
Whereas we see other coaches with LeBron not being able to do it that way. I kind of feel the same with what Budenholzer does, not because of Giannis, but because of Budenholzer's mentality. He's just kind of like, ah, we'll let you do what you do. Eh, it's just. They say if it's don't bro- if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And I think he is so scared to break it, he's a little bit scared to improve on it as well, too. And I think that has changed a little bit this year. I think this is why they've gotten to this point where the previous couple of years, they literally did absolutely nothing to change it. But I think he's got his hip put. It's like if you already have a really good cake, and you, but you're scared to put frosting on it that you might that might ruin it. I think this year he put a little bit of frosting on it. That's why they got here. But he's got it. He can't be scared. You throw those sprinkles on that son of a gun right now. That's the only way you're going to get through this finals is you you have to tidy up the top of that cake. Like you got to you got to risk those sprinkles and that extra cherry on top ruining it at this point. Because what they're doing right now, I don't think they're going to be able to beat this Suns team. They did a lot of good things. If Giannis is going to continue to improve, maybe. Maybe next game, Giannis able to give you 25, 27 because he's got it back under him. And maybe it's a whole different game. I don't know. But I do think, as we talked about in all the color caps, Budenholzer seems to be missing just like one little thing in his coach, in the coaching that I think has sometimes cost his team some games. But we'll see moving forward. I still, if I had to pick somebody, I still feel pretty comfortable if I'm the Bucks. honestly. Just looking at everything, like yeah. the fact there's only a 13-point game. You won the fourth quarter after what some of the ridiculous runs the Suns went on the ridiculous shooting they did, Chris Paul putting on a point guard performance, Chris Milton playing 45 minutes and basically wearing down down the stretch and you still got 30 from him. I feel pretty comfortable. Giannis is never going to shoot 11 field goals the rest of the series if he's held, if he if he plays like he did 35 plus minutes, he's not going to only shoot 11 times again. He's not going to have more yeah. free throw attempts than field goal attempts the rest of the series. So here's the question that I you kind of alluded to it right there. Where do you think the series goes from here? Do you think game two, they're able to tie it back up? Or do you think game two, Suns, Suns hold on to home home court advantage and then we maybe see the Bucks take it in, in, in Milwaukee? Do you think it's going to be a long run? Or do you think it's going to be a short short series? I still feel, I just, I don't know with Giannis how healthy he is. I don't know if like this was the max he could give you and he's going to wear down the rest of the way. Or if like he actually feels pretty good, ice and knee a little bit, then come, come Thursday, I'll be like, all right, I can get it to go again. I do think between Thursday and Sunday, that game two to game three, that's going to be a big telling factor too, is how much that rest helps both teams. How much does it help Chris Paul? How much does it help Giannis? How much does it have if Middleton's going to play 45 a game? Like whoever's going to utilize, maximize that rest time, honestly. So I don't think this series really starts till game three one way or the other. Even if the Suns are up 2-0, I think the Bucs can really flip it on its head and if they win game three like they did in the Nets series. Like they've shown the ability down the stretch to make the necessary adjustments down the stretch. I know we talk about in-game Budenholzer's adjustments, could use some work, but throughout a series, he has shown the ability to make the adjustments down the stretch to that keep it close enough and then down. So we'll we'll see. But if on the, it's hard not to be like, well, you have. It's kind of hard not to favor the Suns right now after that after that game one and knowing you're the more healthy team, surprisingly. But I still, I'm still presuming. I'm hoping honestly because I'm tired of the damn injuries. I'm hoping we just see Giannis by midway through game two, he's back to his normal self. Like maybe that knee wasn't. Since there's no structural damage, it's like, ow, ow, ow. Got all the rust off in game one. Starting to feel it. Okay, I can I can fly again. That's what I'm really hoping yeah. for. I'm not. I'm going to shoot 25 times now instead of 11. Then we get virtually the best of the Bucks versus virtually the best of the Suns, and then we have ourselves quite the series, to say the least. Yeah, no, I mean, look, they, you could tell kind of there at the beginning of the game, he was he was flying on adrenaline. Um, but towards the end of the game, you could definitely tell, like, he he started to favor that knee a little bit more. Um, not so much like favor, favor, like it was like excruciating, but more like, wow, my knee's kind of sore type of like, a, like, you know, like this doesn't feel comfortable right now. Oh yeah. I haven't done this in a couple of weeks as well too. So I'm starting, <laughs> I'm feeling it a little bit now. I'm feeling it now, Mr. Krabs. I'm feeling it now. Yeah. And, and you mentioned the three days off between, uh, uh, you know, obviously Thursday and Sunday's game. 
Well, that actually continues for the rest of the series after that point. Obviously, they the game four is three days after game three, game five, three days after game four, and then game six, three days after game seven. Or sorry, three days after game five. Game seven, the only one, only exception being a two day two days off. So if this turns into a long series, you do get a lot of rest there. So obviously, hopefully injuries aren't going to play a part. I do think um, if it but, does go longer, I think that will favor the Bucks as well, too. Because yeah. The Suns have what their longest series has been six now. I mean, they went six with the Lakers after rattling off three in a row. Then they went six with the Clippers, but they were up three one. It was kind of like, a, I, I feel like a seven, a six, seven game series will favor the Bucks as well too. Assuming Giannis's health gets wor- better, not worse. Like that's kind of what yeah. this whole series honestly banks on is how much Giannis can you get because he's the guy that could get DeAndre in foul trouble too. He's the guy that can attack him and take those rebounds, contest his shots, and don't let him shoot seventy nine percent from the field and give you 20 and 20. He's the guy that can, as much as we talk about get Brooke Lopez involved, I feel like Giannis is the guy that could affect that as well too, and defensively, the chase down blocks, the contests. He's their rim defender, really. So it yeah. kind of w- it wanes on that, knee, on that knee, unfortunately, and it really sucks that that's what this playoffs has come down to, is how is one player's knee going to affect the finals, basically? And I, I hate it so much. Agreed. 100% agreed. Uh, but that does move us forward because these NBA finals, obviously, are going to be very exciting. And you we'll guys be on catch every, for every yeah. single game, by the way, guys, if you are listening, follow us on Twitter, follow us on the app and be sure to tune in. It's a fun time. There's some fire comment section. We, we want to see all you guys there too. It's an absolute blast. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the color cast competition is in full swing. So for every game that the finals goes, we will be calling that as well on color cast. So it's going to be a lot of fun going forward. Um, dream come true for both of us that to get call NBA finals games. Now, we can add that to the uh, checklist of things. Maybe not at a professional standpoint, but we're damn sure going to make it fun. That is that is for sure. Well, the good news is it may not be professional, but we don't disparage our colleagues, so we'll take it. Exactly. Uh, so that moves us forward into crunch time, which is, as you guys always know, probably our favorite t- part of the part of the show where we get to just kind of sound off on some of the things happening in the sports world. And DJ, uh, obviously, some things coming up for you in the in the fight world. No, we're not going to go in a full sound off mode. I'm going to save that for you today. We're not going to go too rant. We're not going to rant. We're not going to ramble. We're just going to, we're going to preview a little bit too. We're going to look ahead to some quality night of fisticuffs as well too. As everyone knows the main event of the, of UFC coming up 264. Conor McGregor, Dustin Poirier, the trilogy. That one, that one's being covered at nauseum. I could beat that one to death with a hammer. I could talk about it all day. I'll try and be relatively quick with it. Obviously they each have a knockout win over the other. Conor McGregor is not quite the same fighter with now that he's filthy stinking rich. You're, it's hard to basically go to work when you're waking up in gold-plated sheets necessarily too. So really curious to see how that one plays out, which Connor we get. He sounds motivated. He sounds a little more like Connor saying like, you know what, Dustin, screw you, you pee head. He's back to that guy calling him pee head Dustin, as opposed to the guy that was best friends with him in the last fight, which is really, really weird to see. Like I'm pro being good sports, but that's not your game. Like I feel like being the trap talker gives him that edge he needs to go in there and clank fist. So really curious to see how that one goes. And if you're Dustin Poirier, you're the best you've ever been right now. You're the winner of this fights for the lightweight title. There's everything he's worked for. He's on cloud nine. He's won, I think nine of his last 10 His only lost to Khabib. Like he's been, he's has the best resume. In the, if you look at the last year and a half, he might have the best resume in the fight game minus uh, Kamaru Usman or a couple other guys, maybe depending just because how deep lightweight is. That's, that's another conversation for another day. I won't get into, but that there's a lot about that fight. I can't wait for that one. I really hope I get off work in time and get to see that one. That's going to be an absolute banger. The Kome event, underrated. Gilbert Burns, Stephen Thompson. Gilbert Burns just lost to Kamaru Usman for, in a title fight in his last fight. 
Great first round, wore down out down the stretch. Kamaro took advantage and made the adjustments. Gilbert Burns never really did. World champion jiu-jitsu guy. Steven Thompson, the most creative, pain-in-the-butt karate stand-up kickboxer in the division. So elusive, so lengthy. Kicks that don't make sense. His, I swear someone needs to scan, cat scan his knees because I don't think all the ligaments are there. There's no way his legs should bend that way. His mastery of distance, that's that's going to be a fun fight too with Gilbert Burns, very head forward, almost like a bowl style. And then Matador, Steven Thompson. And Thompson versus Kamar Usman's a fight I'm curious to see as well too because Usman's basically fought a lot of guys that have more wrestling backgrounds or jiu-jitsu backgrounds. He hasn't fought a guy with Thompson's stand-up background. We'll see how Thompson's able to handle Kamaru's wrestling and vice versa. So that's a fight I'd love to see. And if Gilbert Burns does win, that kind of throws Welter away. Now, well, where do we go from here? So I'm really curious how that one goes. And then the other fight, of course, Sean O'Malley returning, taking on Chris Motino in a short notice fight. Not quite the one we were hoping for. O'Malley, the great bounce back against Thomas Hamada fight. We actually called as well, too. So we'll see how that one goes with him. I was hoping to see him against... I. We'll see how that one goes. I feel like that's going to be a showcase for him, most likely. I mean, a short notice guy, he's in a full training camp. We'll see how that one feels like it has an O'Malley showcase written all over. So pretty good night of fights. It's obviously capped off by the main two, as are a lot of cards with Conor McGregor on it because he's such a star himself. They're not going to load up the back end of it. So I I really look forward to this one. I think it's a really good card. And I want to see which Conor McGregor and which Dustin Poirier we get. And I want to see if Steven Thompson could get back in that title hunt picture too. See He's getting older. He's not getting younger in his style. He relies a lot on that elusiveness, that athleticism, that head movement. I want to say, I, him and Kamar Usman's a fun fight. I'd like to see that one. So I'm subtly, but not subtly kind of rooting for him just because I want to see that matchup. But at the same time, I don't know. That's a, it should be an interesting, fun night of fights. And I really look forward to this. Yeah, this is uh this is a card. Obviously a lot of people look at the headliner and be like, Oh yeah, I will definitely want to watch that because Connor, but they, they might miss, miss some fantastic fights there on the, on the rest of the card. As you just pointed out. There are some real gamers in there. Uh, oh, and Greg Hardy's fighting to a to a to Viasa. So I, but yeah, I, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> so obviously, you went you went with a kind of preview. Uh, I, as you said, I will be taking the rant portion of oh, our you know ra- rants recaps and and you know all that good stuff. But uh, they're, they're uh, continuing kind of the negatives coming out of the sports world right now from the start of our show. I'm, I'm going to continue that a little bit more here. <laughs> into what is just crazy. I, I don't know. I feel like this is just a crazy situation. Uh, Shikari Richardson qualifies for the Olympics team. And less than 48 hours later is suspended for one month because of a positive marijuana drug test. Now, she's in Oregon when she she smoked it. So a place where it is completely legal to do so. It is just like drinking a water in the state of Oregon. It is not an issue. It, it, it It's not something that is illegal in what she did. And the reason it happened was during an interview, during the track and field events, during the qualifiers, a random inter- interviewer told her that her biological mother had died. This shortly after, you know, all uh, shortly before everything happened, you know, at the, uh, with her winning the, the race and qualifying. And, it's a situation where as an athlete, you're, you're going into an interview. You kind of have an idea of what interviewers are going to talk about. Yeah, obviously you usually talk about your performance and things like that. I don't think I've ever considered asking a, a, an athlete or anybody, well, how do you feel that your biological mom has passed recently? How are you handling that? Like, I'm sorry, wait, what? And that led to her having 
a smoke, and it's so be it. It happens. We're all humans. It, it, it happens. But because of this, the one but the one month suspension, and despite her suspension ending days before when she would actually compete in the uh, in in the Olympics, the USA track and field leave her off the roster, going to going to Tokyo. And in what is one of the saddest stories out there right now, Shakari Richardson is being absolutely shafted for making a single mistake that does not affect the human performance. Marijuana does nothing more than helps you with recovery and mental stability at that point in time. There is no threat to the health of an athlete, as USADA claims. There is no extra benefits coming from this other than you relax a little bit more. Oh, how terrible that a world-class Olympic athlete gets to relax a little bit during one of the most stressful times of their career. After one of the most stressful events happening in a parent dying. And then you're going to suspend him for a month after positive testing for THC, which is just a chemical found in marijuana. Which, by the way, THC can be found in gummies or anywhere in, in the state of Oregon. And it could have even been intentional sometimes. Like, I mean, literally, you, in the state of Oregon, you could just literally actually go buy a cookie and it's like, oh, I just had THC. Yeah, this is just, it's a crazy story to me. And I, I, I feel so bad for Shakari Richardson. Obviously, if this is a, it, it's, just, it's a situation where, obviously, if you're smoking it in a state where it was illegal, much bigger issue. But we'll this is a, again, even the Olympic rules are archaic. They need to be changed. But the rules, the rules do say you can't be smoking, and that's why. And even she admits, she's like, I should, I knew what I was doing. My problem is, you leave her suspension's early. They, like you mentioned too, like they said, your suspension is early. It's going to be done before that, so you're you're good to go, basically. Like you're being suspended for the decision, even though it's a bad rule. You're being suspended for the rule, and they leave her off the roster because that's the one that that's why I really don't understand. You leave her off the roster when she's cleared to go. She said, like, I accept my suspension. Like that's my, that's my bad. It's a short suspension, clearly, because it's kind of a stupid rule. I think even they're they're admitting that at that point too. They made sure they they know darn well when that suspension ended that she's able to make the Olympic run. Like they're like, okay, we'll give you this short suspension to make sure you can go. It's like when the NFL's like, oh, we're investigating. Then suddenly the end of the season, oh, now you're suspended. It's it's very it's very well placed. So the fact they left her off the Olympic roster, that's that's an absolute shaft. And I, you, you're right. That's the best way to describe it. Is like, what are they absolutely doing? It's absolutely embarrassing at that. That part of the story is absolutely embarrassing. Yeah. And, and you know, to your point about USA track and field kind of, uh, you know, admitting to their own faults, they actually said in a statement, while USATF fully agrees with that the merit of the world anti-doping agency rules related to THC should be reevaluated, it would be detrimental to the integrity of the U.S. Olympic team trials for track and field if USATF amended its policies following the competition only weeks before the Olympic Games. To me, I look at it as more detrimental that you're not willing to address this issue because it's become an issue now. It has. It won't be an issue after the Olympics Games. Rules are meant to be amended when an issue is fought, brought up at the time that the issue is brought up, not later down the road because that's when things become convoluted. And for track and field to come out and say like, yeah, obviously it needs to be reevaluated. But it'll be detrimental to our integrity. Like you're, you're the U.S. Olympic track and field team. You already have a very poor in, uh, integrity record out there. Uh, it is not the most glowing Olympic record for sure. I mean, you'd say look, every time there's been a U.S. Olympic athlete for the track and field events that has done something in support of a social justice movement, they have been sent home immediately afterwards. 
you know, you talk about the most famous scene being the two athletes on the podium holding their fists up and then immediately being stripped of their medals and sent home the next day. Uh, one of the most iconic I- I- images from the Olympics. However, these two athletes not remembered for winning Olympic medals. And that's part of the USA track and field quote unquote integrity that they're trying to uphold. So this is, uh, it's a bigger issue for me. USA track and field has a lot of work to do to figure it out. But uh, that, yeah, that was, uh, I'm going to leave it there, but this is just kind of a sad situation. And unfortunately for Shikari Richardson, she is the one on the receiving end of this situation. So yeah, uh, it's unfortunate, but that'll do it for us tonight. DJ, any final words? Not at all. Be sure to follow us on ColorCast as well, too, as you mentioned. Fun times coming out on that, too. Keep following the podcast. A lot of NFL season, college football season, a lot of good things coming up as well, too. WNBA season getting in full swing, too. Like A lot of fun things planned as well. Exactly. So uh, be sure to check all that out, guys. Also, check out our link sheet for all of our links to all of our sponsor and everything else we do. All the links are there. Um, there all of our socials, everything. So be sure to check all that out. And if you haven't checked it out already, go back and check out our two-year podversary episode over on YouTube. It's an absolutely fun time recording it. And there's a little special cameo um, on there from a uh, a guy you you normally see on our podcast uh, videos, but uh, we don't normally call it out as much as we do in the two-year podversary. So it's, it's pretty fun. Um, so be sure to go check that out, guys. And as always, we appreciate you guys tuning in. And until next time, we will see you Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Grace, and I'm an indie vet. I'm also home from work at 6 and already transformed into a princess. Mommy, put on your crown. That's because I've got complete control of my schedule, plenty of shifts that fit my life, and a team like no other. It's a whole new way to vet. Indie Vets.